Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace And of all the gift of righteousness, reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've had a hymn in my mind all uh, the last couple weeks as I've been studying this passage. Um, I grew up in a pretty rural area in Michigan, and we would, for a season, my family went to the little Baptist church uh, in town, which was eight miles away. It was a town of uh, 8,000 people. So it's a little small church, First Baptist Church, St. Clair, Michigan, and We'd go in for the morning service, and then a lot of times we'd go in for an evening service as well to begin and end the Lord's Day and worship together with the church. And at the evening service, there wouldn't be a message. There'd sometimes be testimonies, but there'd be a lot of singing. And so we'd get to sing all of these great hymns, and sometimes they'd let us request different hymns. And the one that my mom would always request is called Marvelous Grace uh, of Our Lord. Um, does anyone know, do you guys know that hymn? Does anyone know that one? Yeah. Um, and I think my mom, I, I'm, I'm sure she really appreciated the grace uh, that was communicated to him, but she also loved that alto line where the alto got to sing, while everyone else was singing grace, the alto line got to sing marvelous grace, infinite grace. Um, but I love the chorus of it, and the chorus has just been going through my mind and my heart all week. Grace, grace, God's grace. Do you guys want to sing it with me, if you know it? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace that is greater, 
Grace that is greater than all my sin. I kind of wanted to do grace that is greater than... Do you ever see someone do that? Okay. (laughs) This passage is all about how God's grace is greater than sin. That's what Paul wants to impress upon us, that the gift of grace is the greatest thing in the world. And when when Paul uses this phrase, gift of grace, it's a phrase he introduced in in Romans 3. We read this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. And there's something a little redundant about the words grace and gift, right? They they, they are kind of communicating the same thing, that, that Jesus is taking his goodness and giving it to us, that he's taking his righteousness and giving it to us, that through his cross he's forgiving our sins. This is what this grace means, and it's not, it's not a little thing. It's not the kind of grace you would go like, it's not the kind of gift you would say, here, I got you a little something. It's not that kind of gift. It's, it's the kind of gift where when you receive it, you would go, oh no, I, I can't possibly accept this. This is too much. That, you, you, can't, you can't give this. Have you ever been a part of a gift like that? Have you ever received a gift like that or given a gift like that? A gift that's just too great, too big? I thought of a few times where groups of friends have seen someone who's struggling or who has some student debt or who's been doing really great work parenting and they need a break and just finish school or something and the friends all get together and they're like, if you give this much and I give this much, we could, we could give them this gift that's kind of bigger than. And then someone hands them that gift. Here's the tickets. Here's the check. Here's the reservation and the night away. And you go, no, that's too much, right? That's too big. I, I, I could never imagine that. We get to be part of one of those a few years ago as a beloved pastor who had served for many, many years, and his family's vehicle was just not making it. We all got together, and we all chipped in, and we got to be there when we handed him keys to a new family van, and he and his wife were just like, what? What? I couldn't have imagined that. I can't accept that. It's too big. When Paul goes, it's the gift of grace. It's, the word gift is like a bequeathment. It's this bestowing. It's this bigger than life gift. And he wants us to know that this gift is greater and more powerful than anything, including sin. Amen? Grace is greater than our sin. God's grace is greater. Would you say that with me? God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And so he starts with the origin story of sin and the origin story of grace. He, he puts them here in the second part of chapter 5. He's going to compare them and contrast them. And I think, I think this is one of the reasons Paul spends so much time in this book going over sin and the effects of sin. One, because they're real and they're pervasive and they're powerful and dangerous, and we need to be aware of that. But two, he wants to show us how much more powerful, how much more pervasive the grace of Jesus is than sin. And so he goes back to the beginning, 
gives us the origin story of sin. Verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all have sinned. Now, in other writings of Paul, he will talk about um, Eve's part in the fall. He'll do that in his first letter to Timothy, in his first letter to the Corinthians. We know Eve is there. In this passage, he's using Adam also symbolically as um, all of humanity so that he can contrast Adam and Jesus. So where Adam is sort of the head of the human family who have now inherited sin from Adam, Jesus then is the head of God's new family. And from Jesus we inherit grace. So the compare and contrast of Adam and Eve. And so he goes back to that true origin story of God creating the world very good, creating Adam and Eve in his image, male and female. And their disobedience, their rebellion, and when they go against God's way and they disobey, they run and hide in their shame. And then when God comes and asks them what's going on, they then turn on each other and blame each other. And gaslighting comes into the story as well. You thought that was a new idea. And they do not repent in the garden. And sin enters the world and as we talked about these last couple of weeks, the problem with the world the Bible teaches is this origin of our sin that Adam and Eve started it, but that we've all participated in it. We've all been born into and lived into this sin and this world of death. And it brings alienation in all areas of our life. Adam and Eve are alienated from God, and so are we. But they're also then alienated from themselves. Adam and Eve are created in God's image, male and female. And when they're disconnected from God, they're disconnected from who they're supposed to be. All of the identity issues we have of who am I stem from sin. So we're alienated from God, but also from ourselves and from one another. The first result of sin is the break up of male and female in partnership together. And the next generation then from brothers, and the next generation from families, and the next generation from groups of families. And division between people happens. And finally, from creation, which Paul's going to deal with in a couple chapters, that we're alienated from our physical selves and from the physical world around us. And that this has spread. This has spread everywhere. It's been a pervasive thing. When Cyril of Alexandria, who was an early bishop in the church, read this passage, he said, oh, yeah, the Black Plague. I know what it's like for things to spread. I know what that's like. Is it, is it too soon to talk about sin like a viral disease? We know the fear, right? That we felt at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic what will happen if I get this? What will happen if I give this? Paul's saying the, the root word for, for uh, let's see, in, in your bulletin it says it came to all people, but that Greek word is like it spread. It was transmitted. 
And that's how sin is. We've all been infected. It's not the zombie apocalypse. It's worse. <laughs> Makes a less interesting movie. But there's something that spreads even more than sin, Paul wants to say. Look what he says. He says in verse 15, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace abounded to many. Yes, sin spreads to many, but grace abounds to many. In high school, my friends and I used to play this game. It, it seems kind of strange looking back on it, but maybe some of you played it as well. We called it the haha -ha game. Someone taught it to us, and we would lie down on the floor, and one person's head would go on the person's stomach to the one side of them, and then the person on the other side of you would put their head on your stomach, okay? So we were close friends. Um, and, uh, and then what you had to do is you had to get all the way around the, work, the circle with everyone saying the word ha without laughing because whenever anyone said anything, you could feel it. The whole circle felt it. It would just like ripple through the circle, right? Because one person would feel it and then they would respond. And so, so you'd go, ha, 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 and then someone would go, <laughs> and then it'd go around the whole circle and everyone would be laughing before you knew it. And we would just spend so long laughing, trying to get it around, but not able to do like one complete circle because the laughter was so physically infectious, right? It was contagious. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, yeah, sin spreads everywhere, but grace spreads even more. Amen? It says one sin in verse 16, Adam's one sin caused so many sins, but Jesus' one gift covers not just one sin, but all of them. It spreads even further than sin. The consequences of the fall were pervasive, but the consequences of the cross are more pervasive. And in verse 19, Adam was disobedient, and now we've all been disobedient in that. But Jesus was righteous. He was obedient. And so now we can all be righteous and obedient in him. God's grace is greater than our sin. You say that with me? God's grace is greater. Not only does grace spread more than sin, but grace reigns greater than sin. Look at this um, phrase. If you're looking in your Bible, it starts in verse 14. Death reigned. And Paul says it again in verse 17. Death reigned through Adam and through his sin. But how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life? It says the same thing in verse 21. As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness that leads to eternal life. And when he talks about that kind of reign, like a ruler and a king and a kingdom, that would have really resonated with the Romans because they and so many throughout the ancient world knew exactly what it was like to be under the reign of a king or a leader who was a tyrant, who caused death, who brought a reign of terror. It was just a matter of years before Paul wrote this letter that 
all the Christians in Rome were expelled by Emperor Claudius. Get out. Forcibly removed from their homes, from their livelihood. And when Claudius died in 54, they could slowly make their way back, all those who were able to and still alive. Paul writes this letter three years after that. Three years after that. And he says, sin and death is a tyrant. And they would have said, yeah, we know what that's like. And so many people around the world know what it's like to be under the terror of a government that is not for them. Some of you know what that's like. Death is a tyrant. Sin is a slave master. Uh, a, A community of disobedience and injustice is a terror. But the gospel is the good news that the reign of grace is more powerful than the reign of death. That Jesus is a king who doesn't take life, but who gives it. That we can live in a new land, in a new country that is ruled not by sin, but by grace. Amen? Grace is greater than all our sin. And that means a couple things for us this morning. If grace is greater than all our sin, then we are not hopeless. We are not hopeless. When we look around and we see the landscape of sin around us, we are not hopeless. You know, if you grew up with an idea of sin that was just personal, just individual, just the bad things that you did, then maybe you have a sense that Jesus is able to forgive those bad things I do. But then when you look around and you see injustice and evil in the world, in creation, in relationships, in broken marriages, you go, well, what's the deal with that? But if sin is pervasive and gets into every area and relationship of life, and grace is greater than that, then we don't have to lose hope when we look around and we see people alienated from God. And we don't have to lose hope when we look around and see people who have lost all sense of their identity as made in the image of God as male and female. When we look around and we see uh, conflict interpersonally in marriages or in groups of people or in families or in countries, we don't have to lose hope. When we see the effects of sin in creation and in our bodies not being healthy and in our ecosystems not being healthy, we don't have to lose hope. Yes, those are the effects of sin. It's pervasive. It's powerful. But grace is more pervasive. And grace is more powerful. And grace is greater. And we live under the reign of grace, not death. Amen? So we are sobered by sin. But we are not hopeless. Paul starts this chapter by saying, we have obtained grace in which we stand. In which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Sin is powerful, but grace is all the more powerful. And so we trust, we believe, we stake our lives on grace being greater than all of sin. And the worse the impact of sin, the greater the work of grace will be. The more pervasive the disease of sin, the more comprehensive the spread of grace will be. The darker the reign of terror, the brighter 
the emancipation of grace will be. And so writer and Anglican N.T. Wright says, what's an area of your life and your world that would look different under the reign of grace than it does under the reign of sin? Do we dare to imagine that? Do we dare to hope for that? To name the sin in ourselves and around us, but then to, to cling to the hope that ultimately the reign of grace is more powerful? If grace is greater than all our sin, then we are not hopeless. And if grace is greater than all of our sin, it means transformation is real and possible and happening. All these ideas about righteousness, they're, they're complex, right? Because Jesus gives us his righteousness, but we're not magically with a snap righteous right now. But part of the hope it's giving us is saying, it will happen. Righteousness will win. You will be transformed. You will be restored. That will happen. Grace is greater than sin. And with that freedom, we begin living into it now. With that confidence in where we're going, we begin entering into it now. Without that confidence that grace, transformation, change is really po possible, without that standing in grace, we struggle in our lives and in the church and certainly in the world to know what to do when we mess up. What do we do? This has been one of the I think, primary cultural conversations going on over the last several years. What do we do when people mess up? How do we respond? And Pastor Mark took us through a couple ways that we often respond individually. Last week, one's to minimize. Wasn't that bad? I'm going to try to ignore that. One is to moralize, to kind of take the moral high ground and say, this is what's right, and I... I know and I subscribe to and I champion and advocate for what's right and so everyone else is wrong. Both are ways of just feeling better about ourselves. <laughs> Let me add another one to it that we've seen play out a lot. Minimize, moralize, ostracize, right? That person can never be trusted again. Someone sins, someone messes up, someone commits a crime, someone makes a racist or a hateful statement, someone crosses a line, someone abuses. Can that person repent? Can justice be done? Can they change? Or are they canceled forever because of their sin? We believe in grace for any sin, for all all sin. Grace that is greater than sin. Grace that transforms and changes and gives freedom from sin. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise and shrewd. We read the phrase in our gospel about being uh, shrewd, wise as serpents. About the difference between someone just actually repenting and someone doing damage control and image uh, rebuilding. We, we've got to be shrewd about whether repentance is happening. We, that doesn't mean that someone who's committed something, done something wrong, should be leading something or is immediately safe for everyone. We're shrewd about this, right? We're wise about this. We know transformation is also a process. 
We know repentance has to go really, really deep. It takes years sometimes. With all of those very important caveats and processes and practices, we believe that grace is greater than any sin, that grace can forgive any sin, that grace can transform any person as we repent. That we don't have to be enslaved. I'm going to zoom back in to us from our cultural analysis there. That we, that you and me, we don't have to be enslaved to any sin that we've done, to any sin that was done to us. We don't have to live under the reign of sin anymore. We don't have to live under the reign of death anymore. We have been freed from that. It doesn't have to control us going forward. More and more, we can live in the land of freedom, in the country of grace. More and more, we can be healed and transformed from our sins and the sins done against us. More and more, they can lose their power over us as the power of the good news and gospel of grace takes effect in our life. If we don't believe that the worst parts of me can be healed and transformed by grace, if, if you don't believe that the worst parts of you can be healed and transformed by grace, if we don't believe that the worst parts of us can be healed and transformed by grace starting now, then we are living under the reign of sin and death. But Paul teaches us this morning in the Bible that we are no longer under that reign, that we are no longer under that power. That sin reign in death, but grace will reign through righteousness leading to life through Jesus Christ. Amen? Grace is greater than all of our sin. And it's given to us as a gift. Paul will say in Ephesians, by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not anything we have done. It's what's been done for us and given to us. And in that gift, Jesus transfers us from a reign of sin and death into his reign of grace and life. And that makes all the difference. In April, I got a postcard in the mail, and it said, Ward 6, which is the part of where I live in, Ward 6, Ward 6 trash event. And I was like, what's a trash event? That doesn't sound like very good marketing. Uh, but it was literally a trash event. Have trash. You can bring it down to the parking lot by the river on uh, Saturday morning uh, in May, and they'll just take all your trash. And I was like, all my trash? <laughs> so they listed a few examples. Building materials. Got those. Discarded furniture. Got some of those. Large and small appliances. Check and check. Carpet and pads, some of that. Grills, one of those. Wood, metal, bicycles, check, check, check. Mattresses, uh-huh, and similar items. So everything, they're taking everything. And so I'm imagining all of the piles of things in my garage, in my basement, in my attic. Now, some of it's of my own making. Some of it's my own fault. As we've renovated the house, as we've done different things, and I haven't gotten rid of the junk. I mean, what do you do with the mattress anyway, right? And, and so some of it was mine, but some of it I inherited. Some of it was just done to me when I bought the house and the previous owners didn't take it or when people left things with me. Some of it's not my fault. But whether it was sins done by me or done against me, I've got all this trash and all this junk 
and they're telling me that they're going to take it all if I can just get it down there. Okay. So I go to Daniel. I say, Daniel, can I please borrow your truck? And he says, yes. And I load it up and I pack it full of as much junk as I can put in there. And I'm imagining like a small, you know, dumpster that they've got down by the river. And it's like, as soon as it's full, it's full. I think the postcard said that once it's full, it's full. And I'm like, oh no, there's not going to be enough room for all my junk. They have no idea how much stuff I have. And so I load it up the night before and I wake up early on Saturday morning and I drive it there and I'm there early and there's no one else there. I thought there'd be a line out the parking lot. Doesn't everyone know? They're just taking trash. But no, there's no one there. So I'm there all by myself with the workers, and they're like, we don't start till 8. I'm like, all right, well, let's hang out for a little while then. And so I wait, and at 8 o'clock, they're like, okay, now I can come over. And it, it wasn't just a dumpster. They had two enormous Groot waste trucks. And those are big trucks, and, and maybe I was just up a little bit closer than I thought, or maybe they were like the extra-large model. But these things were massive. And we empty everything out that's in the back of Daniel's truck, and it barely fills part of the bucket that then goes into the main part of the truck that is 30 times larger. And they're like, want to go home and get some more? <laughs> Like, I do, yeah. So I run home, and I put another load in, and I drive back, and there's no one else there still, and they pick that up, and they throw it in. I'm like, this is amazing, trash event. <laughs> it was plenty of space for everything I needed to get rid of. What Paul wants us to see here is, is that's how big the cross is. That's how big it is. There's plenty of space for all our sin, for all my sin, for all your sin, for all of our sin, for all of the world's sin. It might seem like a lot. It is a lot. As we look around and we see the suffering of the world, there's so much. How much greater is the grace of God? How much more pervasive how much more powerful is the grace that will and is transforming all things to make them new? There's always enough grace for sin. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that your grace is greater than all sin. And we just ask that you would minister your grace to us this morning as we move into a time of confession. Jesus, if there's anything that we need to confess and give to you to get out from under the reign of sin and death and into your reign of grace, Lord, give us even the grace to confess it this morning. And Lord, if there's sins that have been done against us, give us the grace to receive your healing, that you're bigger than that sin too. And as we pray for the church in the world, we think about things that are broken in our world, give us the grace to know that your grace is working in those areas and we have hope and we can stand in that grace and in that hope. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.